Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. on a closer look at 12 ordinary men. And we spent quite a bit of time, uh, the last time we were together talking about, oh, and this I should go over again, okay. We spent a lot of time talking about their calling and and there were actually phases in their calling. And one of the things that um, I talked about last week and I'm just gonna briefly, quickly go over it again, is people, because I did have, as I mentioned last week, I had quite a few people come up to me after, not last week's meeting, but the week before. And the question that they kept posing to me was, well, I believe God has called me to do a specific thing. And I've been working at it for years. And I'm not where I think I should be, you know, so maybe I should try to do something different, you know. And that's a valid question. And I could totally understand and relate to it. Um, because I had already shared with you my journey of, you know, the Lord telling me what I was supposed to do at at 28, and it took me till 50 to really start kicking and (laughs) doing it. Um, So the thing, though, that I want to address and and go over again is that, and I had said this before, about how God is not bound by time. And if he is the one who you believe called you, then you have to go back to him and ask him what it is that he wants you to do, what the next step is. And he will tell you. He will tell you, you know, there is a series that I am going to do at some point called A Wink from God because he gives us winks all the time, letting us know that he is in our lives, that he's working on our behalf. And sometimes we're looking for this big grandiose thing, and it's, it could be something very simple. And we need to become a little bit more sensitive to that. You know, like when we woke up this morning and we could actually look out the window and see that, oh, wow, it's really a nice day. We can actually see the leaves on the trees actually moving. Guess what? That's him speaking to you all the time because you were able to be. You're in his presence because he's in you. But you were able to see that. You were able to experience that. So anyway, that's one thing. You have to go back to him. And he will share with you. And again, never, ever, ever be discouraged with the timing. But always pay attention to him. Then the other thing that I shared this week, last week, which I thought was something important, was we all know that scripture about calling those things that be not as though they were. We know it, we say it, we quote it. But we forget the first part, the first word, calling. If, and I gave the example, if I wanted someone and they were, say, in an office in the back, and I wanted them here, I would have to call them. They're not going to just telepathically. I mean, yes, the Holy Spirit does work, and sometimes we'll tell the person, but if this is something I want, the Holy Spirit didn't want it, and I want them to come here because for whatever reason, I have to call them. Well, we have to call things into our life. If you are believing for healing, you have to call it for it to come forth. If you're believing for finances, you have to call the money to come forth in your hand. So it's something that we must do. 
we know, and even Minister Scott mentions it again on Sunday, we know that we're created in the image of God. Everything that God had and everything that he wanted done, he called it into existence because he said it. Well, if we're made in his image and likeness, what does that mean? We have to do the same thing. So if there's something we're believing for, it's nice that you're believing for it. It's nice that you made your petition known unto God and you are exercising your faith, but you also have to call it into existence and that's the part that sometimes we don't necessarily think about and we talked about that last week so anyway I just wanted to go over that because I wanted to I thought it was worth repeating now the other thing and this is where we left off we were talking about um, Jesus's ministry and how when he actually started his ministry it started out with a boom because he just basically for all intents and purposes insulted Okay, the whole um, institutionalized Jewish religion, so to speak. He was not going for what they were doing. And we talked about how he was in the temple and he went in and you know turned over all the tables and we all know all that. So I'm not gonna go over all that again. But the whole point was he was being rejected when he first began his ministry. And that's something that I think can be encouraging to us because we're so sometimes thin-skinned you know, like if you talk to somebody about the Lord and they don't just, oh, embrace you and oh, thank you and, you know, hug you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, like you are expecting something great because you share Jesus with people. You, I'm sorry, you're not better than the Lord. So to me, it's encouraging to realize, okay, well, Jesus was rejected. So if Jesus was rejected, if somebody's not grinning in my face, I don't have to feel bad about it. I'm in the best of company. So I thought that that was somewhat encouraging. Um, we also talk about the fact that uh, all of the people were very, they looked at the gospel he preached and they were just very hostile to him. And we actually talked about how they wanted to kill him. They had gotten to a point where they really just wanted to murder him. And that's what he had to deal with. None of us have to deal with that. If we share some kind of scripture, they're not out to kill us. They're not going to shoot us because we say, do you love Jesus? I mean, you know, really? And the other thing, and this, oh gosh, I'm hurry up. This is something that I did share and I always share and I always tell you all the time that you need to be comfortable with sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone. And it's not about how many scriptures you know, and you know, and we do, that's another little trick that the enemy has because he wants you to doubt yourself. He wants you to feel as if you don't know enough scriptures, you don't know where to point them to, you don't know how to say things right, you don't know how to pray out loud. I mean, he will trip you up to the point where you won't even think you know your name very well. But this is, and I shared with you how, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you want me, say you go to a restaurant and you actually love the meal that you had, you can come and tell me all about that meal and actually make me want to go to the restaurant. Okay, but it's simple. You didn't necessarily go through anything else. I'll give you a perfect example. There's a, a really, really good salad that they have. I'm giving a plug to Sellers and Macy's on 6th floor, the little restaurant on the 6th floor. Mm -hmm. They have this salad that has 11 ingredients in it. 11 ingredients that you would not even think should go in a salad. This salad, I got to tell you, I will not go to the restaurant without getting that salad. It is amazing. I have tried duplicating it. I have gone to other restaurants in the city on Long Island. Nobody makes a salad like that salad. I would say to you, if you don't eat anything else, when you go to that restaurant, you get that salad. You will not regret it. Now, didn't it make you kind of think you want to try the salad? Okay, 
I didn't tell you anything about the 11 ingredients. I didn't tell you anything about how much it costs. I just told you where it is and that it's really good. So if you're sitting down and you're sharing the good news of Jesus, all you have to do is tell them about Jesus and what he's done for you. That's it. You don't have to go into, oh, well, you need to turn to so-and-so and let's look in our Bibles at such and such. You don't need to know all that because guess what? They don't need to know all that. All they need to do is do what? Ask him to become the Lord of their lives. And even if they don't do it right then, you've planted the seed. So then there will be time. Then you can intercede that laborers will come across that person's path to water that seed but you planted the seed so you have to believe god that there will be a harvest that's all you have to do so you don't so don't buy into that whole excuse because that's all that it is it's a thought idea and suggestion that the enemy is giving you to keep you from doing the work of the lord so i know you all aren't going to do that because that's why you're here and and you know what's going on so that's good so anyway when it was time for jesus to accept to select, rather, his 12 disciples. He definitely did not want to choose people from the uh, Jewish establishment that was so determined to destroy him, obviously, okay? He decided after prayer, because all the scriptures we read talk about how he went to the Father and he prayed all night before making his decision or his selection for these 12 ordinary men. And he did, in fact, come up with his own humble followers and selected 12 simple ordinary working class men. That to me, I always find encouraging too. That he didn't go and pick somebody who had some doctorate. He didn't go and pick somebody who had been in school for 20 years. He wasn't interested in all of that. He was interested in what? Their hearts and their purpose. And that could be the same for you and for me. And I think that that is so wonderful. Now, the other thing though that I wanted, and I touched on this a little bit last week. If you ever go to Europe, and you look in the great cathedrals where they have those beautiful stained glass windows, they always usually will have something with the apostles, you know, they, their portrayal of who the apostles are. Um, or you can even look through books about European history and culture, and you'll see the same thing. Um, and the thing that gets to me with that is they usually paint them as these larger-than-life stained glass saints with shining halos who represented and exalted a degree of spirit, spirituality. But we know through our study that that's not the case. They were just regular common folk like we are, okay? The sad part is that by them often being portrayed in this manner, they are put on pedestals as these magnificent marble figures or in paintings like some kind of Roman gods. And this does what? It dehumanizes them. So if you and I are trying to compare ourselves to them, we can't because it's like they're way up here and we're like just regular mortals, and it, it just doesn't make sense. So that's why we study, and that's why we have to break all of this down, because we know that they were extremely human, perfectly human in every way, with every kind of human flaw. Now, and this is where we totally left off. We talked about a man by the name of William Tyndall, who pioneered the translation of scripture into English. You can still go anywhere and get a Tyndall Bible. Okay, you can get them everywhere. It's, it's not hard to find. He, Mr. Tyndall, thought it was very wrong that common people like you and me had to hear the Bible only in Latin and not in their own language. Now, just imagine that. Imagine you come and Minister Scott is going to stand up and, and give you the word or anybody else who stands before you, and we're going to give it to you only in Latin or only in Greek. Now, if you have not taken those two you know, languages, you're kind of like, at a loss, wouldn't you agree? Well, this is what Mr. Tyndall knew. So therefore, 
uh, what he decided to do was he wanted this translated so that everybody could understand it. Now, the people of his time, meaning the Pharisees, of course, um, they didn't want this done. And a lot of the leaders didn't want this done because they felt like they had a certain amount of power because they understood the scripture. Nobody else did. So that's why they didn't want it to happen. But praise God for Mr. Tendall. He made sure that it was published in English so that we could understand it. But now how was he rewarded for all of his efforts? Simple. He was exiled. He lived in poverty and persecution. And finally, in 1536, he was strangled and burned at the stake. Again, this is martyrdom. He gave all that he could give just for the sake of the gospel. We're not even asked to do one iota of that. And yet and still, you know, some of us just don't feel as if we should. So, but we're gonna work on that because in 2019, we're gonna just, we're gonna be, we'll go and talk to the plant about Jesus if that's what's needed because that's what we're gonna do. So one of the main things that motivated Tyndall to translate scripture into the common language was his finding, this was important to me too, that most of the English clergy did not even know who the 12 apostles were. Only a few of them could name more than four or five of the apostles. Now here's the unfortunate part. With the myriad of translations that we currently have, and you hear me spout out all these different translations that are in English and are available, the fact still remains true among some of our church leaders and Christians alike. If you were to ask them to name the 12 ordinary men, those 12 apostles, maybe they'll get four or five, but very few will get all 12. So what qualified these 12 ordinary men to be apostles? Clearly, it was not any special ability or outstanding talent of their own. They were from Galilee. They were not elite. Now, you have to keep this in mind. When it came to Galilee, Galileans were considered low-class, rural, uneducated people. Hmm, isn't that interesting? They were commoners. Some would say they were nobodies. However, they were not selected because they were any more distinguished or more talented than others in Israel at the time. There must have been some rather clear moral and spiritual qualifications that had to be met by men who would fill this or any other kind of leadership role in the church. In fact, the standard for spiritual leadership in the church is extremely high. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. Okay. 1 Timothy. Chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 2 through 7 in the Amplified. Actually, I'm going to read it to you out of the message instead, and then that's where I'm going to have to stop because I cannot believe I've just used up all of this time. So we're going to read it. I'm going to read it to you out of the message, and it says, If anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are preconditions. A leader must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not to be over fond of wine, <clears throat> not pushy, but gentle, not thin skinned, not money hungry. He must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if someone is unable to handle his own affairs, how? Can he take care of God's church? He must not be a new believer, lest the position go to his head, <coughs> excuse me, and the devil trip him up. 
Outsiders must think well of him, or else the devil will figure out a way to lure him into his trap. Now, we're going to end there. That scripture to me is extremely interesting because I'm sure you may have known or can think of people that that can happen to, where they all of a sudden get a position and think that they are bigger than life and they're up here and everybody else is down here, and mm, that's not at all what they are supposed to be like based upon the scripture. So we're going to pick up on that when we come back next time, simply because I want to do as I said, and I want us to be able to have that wonderful time of fellowship. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.